Support for this episode comes from Patena. Patena is a specialist PET packaging company and industry leader in manufacturing one-way kegs, preforms and bottles and refillable PET bottles with recycled content. Patena serves markets around the world and works with customers such as Carlsberg and AB InBev. COVID-19 has taken the beverage industry by storm and heavily impacted logistics and business operations. Breweries are struggling to access viable packaging solutions and manage excess stock still sitting in their tanks. In this time of uncertainty, Patena Kegs will bring additional flexibility to your business, protect your products and minimise losses. With no costly upfront investment, they can be filled on manual, semi-automatic and automatic filling equipment and will help you avoid the burden of keg leasing programmes. Filled Patena Kegs typically have a 9-month shelf life and can be dispensed like a steel keg. To speak with the team and for more information, visit patena.com. That's P-E-T-A-I-N-E-R.com. Today, the Brewer's Journal podcast is coming to you from Tonghem, which is in the heart of the traditional Surrey hop growing area. Here, on a road named The Street, you will find Hogs Back Brewery. While those naming roads might have lacked imagination, that's not the case at Hogs Back, which has been making fantastic beers since August 4th, 1992. Now, we could ask them about their flagship brand, D all caps, which stands for Traditional English Ale. It was her first beer and it's one of the leading regional ales in the southeast. Or we could talk to them about their range of corn seasonal beers, or we could even ask them about their traditional cloudy cider, Hazy Hog, which won a bronze medal last year at the International Cider Challenge. But no, we're here at Hog's Back to talk hops. After all, they're the largest hop growing brewery in the UK. And if anyone is a hops expert, it's a gang here. Joining me today is head brewer Miles Chesterman and hop manager Matthew King. Miles, I, I know I just said I'm here to talk hops, but can you first tell us a bit about the brewery? Yeah, so um, as you mentioned, the brewery um, began in 1992. Um, and I think you mentioned tea as well. So tea was our first beer brewed on site. That was initially on a 10 barrel plant. Over the years, the brewery grew, and in probably 2000, 2002, uh, the brewery expanded to about a 40-barrel brew kit. In about 2012, uh, Rupert Thompson, um, who previously owned Witchwood Brewery, um, bought the controlling share of the brewery and took it on with the, the previous owner. His plans from there was to expand the brewery uh, dramatically, bring in different brands, expand the, the who who we service in the southeast and also but still keep it as a family brewery so over that time we've probably gone from ni- um, 2012 we've probably gone from about 8,000 uh, barrels so that's about 13,000 hectolitres up to about 13 14,000 brewers barrels so considerable growth is most of this in kegs bottles or cans 
The majority of the beer is still in cask. So tea, the flagship beer, is still our biggest selling beer. So that's probably 60% of our product and probably 40, 40% of that is in cask still. Recent years, we have brought some keg on, on board as well. So keg probably accounts for probably 15, 20% of, of the, the product now. Um, and that is, as you mentioned, we've got the Hazy Hog Cider. We also brew our own lager on site. So um, Hogstar, and that's probably, that's half sort of biggest selling keg at the moment but we also do a couple of keg ales as well so we do an, an ipa so it's unfiltered unpasteurized ipa and we also do a 2.8 percent keg ale as well that's been met really well that we also do in small pack and that's in some of the big supermarket groups at the moment so the uh, the bottles and cans is that done on site or Bottling and canning was done off-site, and it's really due to the size of, of the brewery we have. It's, you know, with a small kit, we couldn't really service what we need as a customer. So all our beer is tankered off-site, and it's canned um, in, in a third-party company. And most of it, is it sold in pubs, or do you sell in supermarkets at all? So the majority of the, the beer is large pack, so it's keg and cask, and that's probably 70%, and that is in the pub groups. Um, so we sell to most of the big pub groups out there um, and also the independent free trade um, but we also sell in supermarkets so most of the supermarkets we're in with um, with a few of the beers so teas in the majority of them um, our, our lager is in Hogstars in, in, in can and bottling a few a few supermarket chains as well um, you have a tap room and then you also have an outdoor area how important is that? I think in the current climate brewing, it, it is absolutely essential. And I think the brewers um, of any size, especially without a, a, um, a pub estate, it's become more and more important to make profit because you know there's a lot of brewers out there. The margins are very low in the pub groups um, and in the pubs. So actually you can get a sensible margin. And plus you get people at the brewery trying the beer in the best condition and they're on site as well. And that's a, that's a big plus. Do you, uh, you used the word profit. Do you, uh, do you think some brewers think that's a, a dirty word? I, th- I think people do think, yes, it's a, a dirty word, but at the end of the day, you know, we, we've got to you know, make some money, and it is so competitive out there. Mm. And I mean, the main thing, you know, is it's that with a taproom, it's that as much as getting people in, trying our beers on site and enjoying them, so, and actually find out where they can get them when they try them here. Um, I think the next question will lead to what we're here for. In looking at your beers, hops seem to play a significant role. True? Yeah, um, very true. I, th- I think, um, you know, you know. Obviously we're going to come on to talking about the hop garden itself, but that is a massive part of the Hogsback, the story. Actually, us growing hops, you know, we, we've, we've learned a lot. Um, it's been a very steep learning curve, but hops are very important. And it's, it's you know, all hops, so the traditional hops, some of the modern hops as well, some of the, you know, I think we've, it's a very important part of, one, the story of the brewery, what we do, and also it's important in, in regards to the range of beers that we're making. So Matthew, why are you growing your own hops? We're uh, growing our own hops because uh, it's, Surrey was the first uh, commercial uh, county in the United Kingdom to actually grow the hops. And um, way back when, a few centuries ago, you could probably walk from Guildford to Farnham uh, in this area, uh, just walking through hop fields. And there's now just outside of the brewery, uh, one other commercial um, uh, estate that manufactures or grows hops. Um, we're a successful brewery. We just thought 
let's try and bring the hops back into the into the local area and uh, let's um, for sustainability reasons let's just grow the hops for our own beer tell me a little bit about the hop plant itself it's a it's a rhizome it's um, a perennial plant um, linked to the cannabis family um, but I wouldn't smoke it <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, and um, it just grows constantly it's a root that will bury uh, deep into the ground anchor itself in uh, will grow out sporadically and um, we just encourage it to grow upright uh, to around about 17 uh, 16 17 feet uh, where we can then uh, um, uh, tame it shall we say uh, to um, help produce um, the cones that we wish to use for our brewing process how long does a hop plant live for it could live forever. Where it's useful, it's useful life for us is around about thirty years. That's a that's a long time still. I mean, does anybody make a point of trying to find old species of hop plants? Throughout the whole of this, well, the, this country, worldwide, there's hops that just grow everywhere. Um, it's essentially a, it could be called a weed. It, um, you'll find it in hedgerows, along canal banks, um, along uh, um, old trade routes, etc. There's many different varieties out there. It's very difficult, I suppose, to identify the initial ones. Um, but uh, as, I, as I mentioned earlier on, the, the, Surrey being the, um, the founding county of, of commercial hops, uh, many of the fields were grubbed up for uh, various different reasons. And uh, you'll still find traces of the actual growth uh, during the spring and summer. And regards to the, the old varieties, um, that's one of the reasons we did the hop garden initially. We brought back an ancient variety known as Farnham Whitebine, and that was the first hop we planted in the garden in, back in 2014. Um, and that hop is basically the precursor to Goldings and a lot of the, the family of hops in the UK. Um, so we actually managed to source through Y Hops down in Kent, um, a plant that was uh, botanically identical to the original Farnham Whitebine. So we brought an ancient hop that was grown here and that made you know Surrey um, famous for the hop growing. We brought it back 90 years after it was grubbed up, back to the area that, that was fantastic to do. I mean, you guys say one of the reasons why you're doing this is to reduce food miles, carbon footprint, it's environmentally sustainable. I mean, is this, is this a PR exercise or is this true? Not at all. I mean, when we, the whole idea with, with the hop growing on site, um, we're gonna, the idea is we're gonna get them, they're gonna be picked on site, so go through a picker, so not just off the plants, go through the picker on site, we're gonna kill them on site. And the other thing we're gonna do is we are going to vacuum pack them on site. So straight after picking, once they're conditioned, the temperature's right, we'll vac pack them under inert gas and store them cold. So actually say, yes, it's a PRP. Yeah, there's a great story there, but actually what we are doing is we're not taking the hops in bales, sending them halfway across the country to be packed, bringing them back, storage, we are going to do it all on site that I don't think many, if any, hop hop um, growers are doing in the UK. You guys say that growing your own hops makes you better brewers. How's that? I think with anything, I think if you understand your ingredients better, you can understand the intricacies of how it can change a product as well. And it gives you a chance to trial. You know, a good example is when we, we um, with the hop varieties we've grown, so the Farnham Whitebine, we didn't know what, nobody's brewed with them for 70, 80 years. There's not a beer out there with it. So actually we did some trials with that and we understood, got to learn 
with that hop what kind of beer you can get, what kind of aromas, what kinds of bitterness. So I think, and it's the same with, you know, we did, we grow um, some UK Cascade and some Fuggles. And UK Cascade, you know, we had really no idea what we'd get with it. And also you understand the best time to harvest to give you the best beer with the experience that Matthew's really, really picked up the last few years. And also um, developed more an understanding of why the far and white bone was probably rubbed out and made obsolete. Because uh, <laughs> the more modern hops tend to uh, be a, a, an easier plant to grow and look after, whereas the white bone was uh, is very sporadic and um, and tends to want to do its own thing. It's and a more, problem more, child in the garden, more, put it that way. And more susceptible to diseases, etc. You know, Matthew. I mean, it's it's pissing down rain right now outside. But, um, you know, I see you keep looking at your watch too at times. I know you want to get out to the field, though God knows why. Is this a year-round job for you, taking care of the hop gardens? Uh, well, it is now. As I said, it's a perennial plant. It just keeps growing. We've got to try and curtail it now. The shoots are starting to show. It's, it's um, you know, first week of March. It's, it's showing too much enthusiasm. We want to slow things down a bit. Um, yes, the, the, it, is, it has also rained virtually every day in 2020. And um, uh, as I'm sure you know, the rest of the United Kingdom are uh, suffering with flooding, uh, we have the same here. There's, uh, there's, there's lots of surface water there, which means I can't do much um, on, on tractors or other vehicles uh, because it just, I just sink. So I have to be out there manually and uh, I can't do anything with it, with any machinery. So I have to just manually string the hops um, just in anticipation. That's the only thing I can do at the moment. So. I mean, you, I'm going to take a wild guess here. You're not a hop, hop farmer by tradition. I mean, how did you fall into growing hops? <laughs> I was um, uh, press ganged uh, by uh, Rupert, the director. And he just looked at you. He looked at everybody and he said, yeah, you're the guy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Well, it was, just, it was a project um, that uh, we wanted to run with um, many years ago. And... Um, and an idea sprung to mind, and then we just realised that it's got to be managed. Someone's got to look after it. We can't just tend to it part time. So therefore, there I got singled out to see if I can uh, um, be put in charge of the whole uh, operation. And uh, yeah, I, and I grew some enthusiasm towards it. And I don't mind being outdoors, even though the rain is uh, pouring. But, um, and also, it's always it's a sense of. Um, to, to, to manage and look after these plants and bring them up and, uh, and, and put all the extra work in to see them grow, to see, to see the, uh, the fruits of your labour, so to speak, at the end of the year, um, you know, post-harvest, is, is rather reassuring. Were you trained at all or is this just on the job and hope uh, for the best? Uh, not, not officially trained, just very self-taught. Mm. I've had to do the various um, uh, legal aspects of... Uh, um, herbicide uh, and, and and spraying etc but uh, otherwise it's just uh, you know reading books and uh, and and getting knowledge and know-how from all our friends and colleagues in in the hop shires of worcestershire herefordshire etc or down in kent it's a very friendly industry as well hop growing you know there's uh, everybody's always willing to support you and help you out you know there's you know, hop farmers that have been in their family for years and years and are more than happy to help you so good industry then yeah excellent um, once the hop garden matures, what percentage of your hops will actually be coming from that garden? Brew-wise, um, it would be 100%. But 
But all, all, all our, all our, uh, um, all our yeah. yields will go to back towards the brewery. Yeah. We don't tend to retail it out. So it'd be, Hunt would be using all the hops, but it'd probably equate to fifty percent of our brewing um, need. So, and the plan is we'll be able to all the varieties. We will be using our own beers. That that's the plan anyway. You know, you you keep referring to it, you call it a hop garden. So I mean, to me, I see oh, you know, you got a line of beans, bit of corn, maybe a couple hop plants thrown in between. How big is this garden? It's eight and a half acres, and there's around about um, 6,300 plants. So when does a hop garden become a hop farm? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, it's, it, is, it, it is currently like a farm at the moment. Um, I think once, it's, uh, once the sun comes out and uh, the, uh, the hops are beginning to grow and trailing up the, the trellis work, etc., it looked more like a traditional garden. But it's also regional, isn't it? There's hop, you get hop yards, hop mm-hmm. gardens as well. So yeah. Hop fields, etc. Yeah, yes. so it depends Di- where you are. So Different locations of the country, kind of just a different thing. Can you tell me about the uh, the new hop varieties you're growing? You, you mentioned the old one that you're you're kind of bringing back from the dead. What, what else are you growing? Well, it's... Um, the free varieties, it's the final white buy and the old variety. Then it's Fuggle, which is the main ingredient for our flagship bear tea. And then we have uh, uh, English Cascade, which is um, the, the UK variety of the American Cascade, which is used for our lagering and our uh, um, IPA. We use it quite a lot, so yeah. Um, so they're, they're the current ones we're doing. We're also looking at a nursery garden and seeing what other varieties we can do. Um, the beauty in a way of having a brewery as well is we can probably experiment a bit more and we can try varieties that probably haven't traditionally been grown in the UK or maybe in theory from the climate haven't got the right climate for it but we can try on some things so there's lots of other things we we are looking at we are even looking at something like mosaic that's grown in the Yakima Valley that's in very semi-arid climate with higher higher sunlight stage. but we're gonna we'll give things like that a try and and, and also there's a lot of UK um, high aroma hops have been developed recently we'll look at so there's things like Harlequin Jester we might might look at you know if, if we can and any new varieties coming yeah, through Ad- Admiral and Ernest popular no, yeah so high alpha uh, so uh, um, high aroma hops I mean you're talking about some of the hops that were grown traditionally elsewhere um, how much of a taste difference do you think there would be between those and same variety but growing here? In theory, the, the climate pay, plays a massive part um, in regards to the kind of hops you produce. Um, so it's actually it's the climate of that particular year and obviously the region. So if you look at something like uh, say the, the US, the you know Washington State, Yakima Valley, they typically have higher this myrcene that's the hop oil content is how you that gives you some of the tropical notes you get in your hops now typically um, from analysis that's been done and checks been done comparatively you're probably looking 30% higher levels of the hop oil in the US varieties and potentially in Australia um, New Zealand Tasmania that area they get because they've got that higher um, levels of sunlight UK hops traditionally have lower levels of some of these very modern aromas but there's, there's a lot of development going on at the moment too to see if we can we can match or, or get somewhere near them you know if we have the summer like we did last year uh, you know i think it'd be right up there with them matthew how do you treat the hops once they're harvested 
post harvest, uh, it's um, they they they're taking the plucked off the binds, then and we take the cones off, and we'll um, then put them into a, an oast house where there'll be a kiln, and evenly spread them out in the kiln and dry them for approximately to eight hours, uh, depending on the volume. Just try and drain as um, all the moisture out of the actual uh, uh, cone itself. Uh, prior to leaving it to condition for a short while, uh, and then we'll just instantly on site to backpack them into 20 kilo bags. Then cold store. Then cold we'll put the cold on site as well, and that's very important. Going between uh, using pellets yeah. to using uh, cones, I mean, is there a huge difference? There's a lot less treatment these days with the um, production of the hop pellets, so the what they call the type 90s. Mm -hmm. And basically it's it's sort of macerated and compressed through a dye into these pellets. You know, I've, I've got to believe that actually the less you process something, the, you know, the closer to the fresh product you're going to get. Um, partly, you know, we... we because we've never tried it in our, our brew house, because it would bring it to a standstill, and I'd be I'd be digging out for about three days. We haven't tried the type nineties, but what the fresh hops do give you is a less, lesser processing, and it's something you know we we use anyway. So there's a lot of breweries using it out there, but what it can do is have the negative effects on yield because you entrain a lot of your work, a lot of your extract stays in that leaf hop as well. And you've got sort of more levels away, so it can affect losses as well. And around inconsistencies around utilisation, so the amount of business you get out of them. So the smaller you think, if you, if you look at the Type 90 pellets, the smaller the pellet, they'll just completely disperse and it gets it gets um, fully hydrated and mixed in. But I've got to believe, and I do, I do believe that actually there is a, a difference you get from whole hops as well. And it's quite evocative, you know, the smell, the you know, the appearance of them. Is cleaning them much more difficult? Oh yes, yeah. It's it's it it's a lot more hassle to do. One, um, you've got to manually dig them out as well. So we, you know, we manually manually dig them out from our copper, and then we'll, whereas the the pellets, we we'll, we'll get a nice little uh, neat pile in the middle that you can basically flush out and get round that way. So it's it's a lot more manual. Fair bit more grief, but you know it's, it's what we do, and it's part of you know the traditional process of brewing. So, question for both of you, hand on heart, can you tell the difference between your beer made with fresh hops as opposed to making the same beer with with pellets? Without actually, <laughs> that's a hard. Without yeah, actually yeah, trying yeah, it, yeah. Um, I <laughs> think for some of the the heavier or the heavier hopped beers, we would do. Because any change in process does make a difference. You know, in, in brewing the, the dimensions of a vessel you use, the fill levels, the plant, does make these minute difference. Whether the public will pick it up, probably not. And uh, I think probably, I probably could if it was a seasonal ale, just post-harvest, um, when the hops are at its absolute freshest. But, uh, you know, probably this time of the year or later, you know, early summer, then no. With them... Um other UK brewers, I mean, when you, you talk to them, how popular do you think UK hops are with them? I think with the the, sort of the, the new movement of the craft brewers, a, a lot less. And, you know, I think you mentioned earlier, it, it's a case of 
you might use them for bitterness as well. A lot of the traditional brewers at the moment making good, very good traditional ales, I think they seem as very important. So the traditional varieties we've mentioned, we do fug, you know, we, we, we grow our own fuggles, goldings, first golds. These are actually good to make very good, well-balanced beers. From the modern craft side, it, you know, the people move much more towards the high aromatic um, yeah. US Australian hops, and you know, and, and we we're doing part of the same. We're doing a combination of traditional beers, traditional hop aroma, and modern aromas. What styles of beer do you think are best suited for UK hops? My my view are traditional bitters, almost traditional pale ales as well. Some porters, so um, so you know. So, Things like East Kent Goldings, Fuggles, very good for traditional uh, bitters, even light pale ales, porters, um, things like you've got things like Progress that have been sort of like a higher alpha, probably a slightly higher more aroma than uh, Fuggles. You know, so I think more the traditional beers. What would be interesting is actually if anybody does a highly hopped traditional beer using, you know, using these, these traditional hops. Matthew, do you think there's any UK hops that are being underutilized, that they're out there, but people just aren't using them, and they're actually brilliant hops? I, absolutely, yes. I think, well, traditionally, the, the, the English hops are, are underused because of their delicate notes, and, uh, and they're more earthy, and as, as probably popular in, in, uh, many, many decades ago, because of the movement with the craft brewing trends, etc., to go for more tropical, more... Uh, um, fruitier beers and um, uh, the the old traditional english hops overlooked there's um i wouldn't say a a movement but maybe it is and you know it seems like in a very crowded field out there with the craft brewers you know some are sourcing cutting edge hops and in each year you hear oh this is these are going to be the end hops for 2020 uh, but do you think the average beer drinker can actually tell the difference it's difficult how how broad you would say the average. If you say the traditional English beer drinker, the English the traditional drinker will probably look for more delicate flavours. Uh, it's just it's a model, it's a mar- market that has to move the times, and um, and we everyone has to have their thing on the pulse. And varieties are out there around the world now, and uh, and and there's many different brewers that like to experiment. I th- I think. Um to a certain extent, there's certain very um, aromatic hops out there that people will know the difference. But there's a lot of very similar ones as well. And there's lots of inference about, you know, because people tend to um, put what hops they are on and actually give you ideas around what flavour aroma they get, uh, they will give you. So I think uh, the average consumer, if it's hoppy and tropical, would they be able to tell the difference between a um, mosaic and a Amarillo or a Sim- Simcoe? from the consumer's point of view i'm not so sure i mean i used to do uh coffee roasting about a million years ago and uh i actually could usually tell the difference of what especially in a blend of what's in it and i think at times i'm i'm a minority of you know one in a million or something i mean everybody else is just coffee it's just a bitter drink you drink and you know i'm thinking well it smells you know tastes like a little might be a little bit of Sumatra in here but it's pretty high Brazilian high notes in here and blah, blah, blah. You know, again, do you think maybe there's too much concentration on, on the hot as opposed to the actual pleasure of drinking? I, I believe so. I think there's, you know, there's some, there's been some fantastic new beers um, brought out with the, you know, with the craft brewing, uh, brewing movement and the, the heavily hot beers. There's some brilliant beers out there. But I think 
it's, it's remembering actually the base of the beer as well and it's the blend of the two. It's looking at actually is it a good overall beer and that's part of it, you know, it's concentration on the whole product. I mean, I heard somebody say at, a, at the last Brewers lecture, um, you know, he said once upon a time people would talk over their beers and now they talk about their beers. And uh, I mean, do you, do you guys see this, especially when it concerns hops? I mean, we we just done uh, Brew Brew London recently, um, and you, there's a lot of people that seem to be expert on hops and ask you what hops you've got in. And some of you say you enjoying the beer, you know, just enjoy the beer. Yes, it's a might be a hoppy beer. The other thing that was, was quite surprising is um, I think Matthew probably had the same at Brew London. We had a lot of people coming up, and we had a couple of um, our variety of hops in some dispensers that people would grab and sniff. And a number of people have said, you know, they were drinking iPads, oh, I love that, it's nice and hoppy. And they said, what's that in there? I said, well, that's the hop. You know, so there's, there's people understanding what the flavours are, they are, what they are in beer, but don't actually understand what they physically are, if you see what Some I mean. individuals actually thought they were bar snacks. <laughs> right now, this looks like it could be, I mean, we've, we've just had the wettest winter on record. It looks like we're heading towards the wettest spring on record. I mean, last year was... You know, I think in the 22 years I've been in the UK, it was the first decent summer we had. How big a difference is there between each year with, with the hops? Uh, well, we've, um, we've had it in our short period of time of being um, grower brewers. Uh, we've, we've been for all the different uh, elements of, uh, and we've had a, 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 the first, our first harvest, it was just throughout a torrential downpour and it took a long, long time to dry the hops. Um, 2018 was, um, was a, it was there was a heat wave throughout the whole of the United Kingdom and um, uh, our hops were, were ready ahead of schedule but not all varieties were so we had to stagger our the harvest um, everything dried out rather quickly we have very, our hops are very very thirsty enjoy lots of moisture and with the heat wave uh, the lack of rainfall they just the cones just turned to petals and blew away in the wind. Uh, so our yields that year wasn't very success was, was wasn't very high at all. This year has been as we mentioned earlier on in the podcast. It was uh, has been you know a very wet 2020. Um, fingers crossed. You know, come the spring, everything will drain away. Um, the hops will suck up the excess uh, water that's in the field, and uh, uh, we could have a bumper harvest. We were talking a little bit about uh, the difference in hops, same variety growing in England growing in Czech Republic, growing here, growing there. If you're a brewer, I mean, how can you make sure you get a good hop consistency? In regards to the growing, it's, you know, it's down to Matthew and it's, it's trying to keep, trying to reduce the variables as much as you can. Um, but that will, in, in a sort of harvest year, in between years, we'll get a difference, say, in alpha around, you know, around your bitterness of probably 2%. You know, so something from Fuggles might go from four and a half percent to six and a half percent in two different years. Around the consistency of what you do in your beer, it's it's basically a lot of it is is trialing it, blending it, um, and adjusting accordingly. You know, because the constitution uh, makeup of the oils are the same. Um, it's just concentrations. Quite a lot of it's the the alpha, the alpha acids might change. So it's just trying to. I think tweak the process, dosing, 
where you put them in the brewery to try and achieve the beer you want, and that's that's the challenge. It's it's the same with you know all, all natural raw ingredients, really. When you look at the prices of hops, I mean uh, they, they quickly drop off. But it's a good bargain. So if you get hops that are three or four years old, yeah, yeah. I think depending on the way it's, they've been packaged and so on. If the, the traditional way was to used to store the hops in uh, big large pockets, which was a zentner, which was ninety something kilograms. Uh, none of these used to stay in barns, and they used to suck in just the, the natural moisture of the in the in the, in the air, etc., and um, and start to um, expand again. But uh, if you if you, in the correct way to now is, is to have them all vat packed um, hops that have been harvested, um, you know, two to three years ago can remain exactly the same and keep their content and yeah. their their. Um, aromas uh, throughout. The key is really the storage and the processing. Um, If you process them as quickly as you can, get them under inert gas, vacuum pack, cold storage, they'll keep for quite a while. Um, The alpha acids might um, decrease, so your bittering potential might be decreased, but something we've looked at and we've measured after year on year, and we get very small amount of creep because of the way we store them as well. And the other thing is just as a brewer, the best thing to do is just smell them. You know, just take them in, look at them, use your eyes, smell them, trial it in a small beer. And actually, what you'll find is there's some of the three-year-old hops are as good as the fresh hops, especially if the harvest has been good. Do you, uh, do you think 2020, we're going to start seeing a move away from the heavy hop beers? Probably another two years yet. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, probably 2022. I think it's another couple of years. I think it's still, they're still the biggest selling beers and actually... Uh, barriers to entry in the market about selling our beers like our keg IPA that's a lot easier to sell than if we did a keg ale or a cask ale really um, I mean it's, it's already signs of it in the US moving to gold nails rather than you know a couple of years ago that that's sort of started as signs of that moving to gold nails that are less hoppy and I think think go around in cycle there's always been a place for hoppy beers and I think very hoppy um, modern style beers are, are there to stay but I believe the sort of the traditional styles um, and the sort of more balanced beers will come through again but I think it's gonna be a few years yet. Yeah. You agree? I, I do yes I, I think there's new varieties out there now but and the, the varieties are, are tending to be um, higher, higher aroma and so on and um, word has just got out now and it'll take a, a good uh, 12 to 24 months for uh, those uh, those aromas to be added to different brews and then those brews to, to be successful to the, uh, to the to the market. I should have asked this question a while ago, but you do use green hops, correct? Yes, we do. Um, we, we do it straight from our garden. So um, we do a brew once a year, as you can only do, around hop harvest. Um, and we I think with our record is, is it's under an hour. We've got them from the field. I think it's less than that, it's isn't less it? Less than that, yeah, don't, um, in the morning. Into, into the brewery. Yeah. So the challenge with green hop beers is because there's such a high level of moisture, you need probably about 15 times the amount of hops to get at similar levels of aroma. You'll get a different aroma, but that, that's the challenge with it, and trying to get that through the brewery is, is never popular. The brewers never look particularly happy with me when we, we do it, but it, it, it's a good outcome. When you it's do unique it. for us because we're, we're, we know we grow on site, etc. But I mean, once you, once you um, harvest a hop by and you've got less than 24 hours to, to get that into, into, your, into your beer uh, before it starts to uh, compost. 
And so basically green hop beers would only be seasonal. So basically it'd be around about you know, four to six weeks around the harvest time would you ever see a, 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 a big boost of green hop beers. After that, it's just, there's just no hops available. Last question for both of you. Well, have you been to, you've been a brewer at the Big Boys, you know, and I, I would call here, Hogs Back, you're not a big boy, but you're definitely in the middle somewhere there. What advice would you have for a, a small craft brewery regarding hops? For a small craft brewery, I suppose my advice would be um, do a combination. You know, there, there's some, don't just go for the highly hot beers, go, you know, look at some of the UK varieties as well, because you get some really good, interesting beers there. I think it's, as much as anything, I think the market will go to a more balanced product over the next, next few years. Matthew? If a small craft beer, if you've got the opportunity to grow a, a, one or two of your own hot plants. Why not surprise Grow them in a barrel or, or something, you know, or a little trench, but to, you know, because the outlay of trying to, to mass produce hops is, uh, is somewhat a daunting task. Yeah. You need the space, you need the area, you need the infrastructure. Um, and uh, I think the brewers should just concentrate on brewing the beer. Actually, I was going to actually ask you that. I mean, at the end of the day, do you think maybe too much emphasis is placed on the hop and not on the actual brewer? Well, to be to be a brewer is a talent, and you got to know um, the inside out of that of that industry, and then to grow is a separate talent. So that's why Miles and I are together to try and produce the, the, the ultimate goal. Big thanks to uh, Hogs Back Head Brewer, Miles Chesterman, Hop Manager Matthew King for hosting the Brewer's Journal podcast today. Ross Schill of Schill Porter Communications for arranging this. A thanks to our sponsors, Sound Guru Ross McPherson, publisher John Young, and to you, our brewing compadres, for making this all possible. This has been Velo Mitrovich for the Brewer's Journal.